After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Live on DAZN Pay-Per-View, September 17th, Part 3. Canelo versus Triple G to take the trilogy. Bad Blood, a score to settle. Controversy, brutality, pure hostility. For victory, for history, for the trilogy. Canelo Alvarez versus Gennady Golovkin. September 17th, live on DAZN Pay-Per-View. Visit DAZN.com. When T-Mobile says we've got you covered, we mean it. We've invested billions to light up our best network yet, covering 99% of people in America. And great coverage is just the beginning. Every year, families and small businesses can save up to 900 bucks versus Verizon when they switch to T-Mobile. There's never been a better time to switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store and switch today. Coverage is not available in some areas. Savings with four lines based on analysis of Verizon and T-Mobile national postpaid smartphone bills, rate plan features, taxes and fees, and savings may vary. See details at T-Mobile.com. Kick off NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join today. Get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed. All you got to do is place your first $5 bet. Sign up with promo code 2400 to get in on the action, and then you can turn game day into payday all season long. And the best part, take that 150 in free bets. There's big games every weekend, ones you'll have big opinions on, and you can get on your way. Play your way. Bet on more than just the final score. Wager on everything from touchdowns to total yards to catches. You name it. FanDuel's got more markets than anybody. You can even combine your bets for a chance of a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Don't fumble your chance to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with promo code 2400. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 and up in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued non withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms. Sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Hey, Bills Mafia. We know there's only one topic every day. All Bills all the time. And now Matt Bove and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. Oh my gosh, what a way to open the season for the Buffalo Bills. How about that, Bills Mafia? Incredible. 31-10 to 10 over the Rams in their house. The season opening game we've been waiting months and months for. The Bills watch the banner raised, and then... They just don't care. They go and kick the tail of the defending Super Bowl champion Rams. Sal Capaccio here, and it's always game day in Buffalo, WGR Sports Radio 550, and Bill's sideline reporter. I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Matt Bove of Channel 7, WKBW-TV. He's the sports director there in Buffalo. What is going on, Matt? What a, a fantastic weekend for Bill's fans. 
Yeah, I would imagine that these one o'clock games were probably very enjoyable. Well, the one o'clock games and the four o'clock games probably very enjoyable for for Bills fans knowing that their team started the season off with a win and they could kind of evaluate the rest of the league. They could see what teams they think might be a threat to the Bills, what teams might be overrated. So I know this first weekend is always one of the favorite days for football fans around the country. And I think for Bills fans, it was probably especially sweet considering how dominant they looked on Thursday night. No doubt about it. Thursday night, a very special night. And what really struck me and I, I, I thought a lot about, I should say, was after the game, how long it was for us to get there, right? Over this, over the last few months since the schedule came out in May, the anticipation, what's that like? Oh my gosh, I got to go there. And then the bills just came right out. They get that first touchdown. You know, of course it was tied at halftime, but they really controlled the game. And then after the game, I'm thinking, Matt, boy, we, we took so long to get there. It's kind of like Thanksgiving meal. Now, granted, these days we don't get to do that, Matt, because we're always <laughs> having a Thanksgiving game to cover, but yeah. it's like a Thanksgiving meal. It takes so long to cook and you're just waiting and preparing and then bam, it's over like that. And you're like, oh, that was super satisfying. That's exactly what happened with the Bills at the Rams. Yeah, it was just an unbelievable performance, really, from the time that they touched the ball, they walked down the field, they scored the Gabe Davis touchdown. I know there were some bumps along the road, but from the start of the game until the end of the game, the Bills were the better team. And in the second half, they looked like the way better team, which is truly saying something, considering who their opponent was and considering the stage that they were on. And Sal, full disclosure, I do want to kind of I don't necessarily know if I want to say apologize, but I want to give everybody a heads up that we're recording this a couple days later than we normally would, because I actually had to leave Los Angeles to tend to a family emergency back in Buffalo. So I got a phone call really late on Wednesday night that my dad had had a stroke. So I basically got on a flight, the last flight out that I could, and I came back to town. Now, hopefully by the time this podcast has been posted, he will be back home. So all things considered, it is about as amazing of an outcome as we could have prayed for, hoped for. So, you know, all things considered, my goodness, we are so fortunate. And, you know, I wouldn't be standing here doing this podcast today if he wasn't doing significantly better. But I did kind of want to put it out there because... I just kind of went radio silent. Like I had a couple of people reach out to me and they were like, are you at the game? And I'm like, well, no, not really anymore. And then you kind of had to explain the situation, but it has been an amazing distraction. I got to say from the time that I had found out my dad was sick until the time that I got back home. Now, obviously I was doing a lot of traveling. There was tremendous progress. And when I walked into his hospital room on Thursday afternoon, he kind of looked at me confused. He was like, what are you doing here? Hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, you're supposed to be in Los Angeles. And I'm like, do you not know like kind of what happened? And he didn't understand. I think the severity of the situation, but it was within like five minutes visiting him in the ICU that he was asking me about like Christian Benford and about like what plays the bills were going to run. So it was kind of like the perfect distraction for him going through everything that he was going through. And then on Thursday night, at that point I had left the hospital because visiting hours had passed and I kind of felt guilty. I didn't know what to do because, you know, you were in Los Angeles. This is my job, but also it's something that I enjoy doing, watching football, talking about football. So I didn't know like what I was supposed to do. Was I supposed to like tweet about the game? Was I supposed to talk about, like, I didn't really know how I was supposed to approach it. So it was a really weird, confusing time, but everybody on the bills beat 
was super, super gracious. And I appreciated all the people who reached out. Everybody at channel seven was unbelievable. There was no questions asked. I mean, like you fly across the country to cover the first game of the year against the defending Super Bowl champions. Like we had a lot of things planned and everybody else just kind of had to pick up the pieces because I had to obviously get home. So I apologize to those of you listening, I guess, that this is a couple days later probably than our normal post-game podcasts will be. Thank you to everybody who reached out, who, you know, sent us well wishes, who prayed for us. We're very, very fortunate it worked out the way it did. And uh, yeah, Sal, I was watching the game, and even though it was so insignificant compared to what was going on in my life, I did really, really feel weird not being there in the stadium. So was it amazing? Was the stadium super cool? Yeah, I, I want to get to that in a second. First of all, let me say you have nothing to apologize for, obviously. Yeah. And I know like that however you chose to handle it is the right way. It's it's everybody's different in these in these situations, right? How you chose to handle it for you mm-hmm. and for your family is the correct way. And there should be nobody who would ever and nobody would ever, I would think, criticize no, anything like no, that. No, absolutely right? not. Um as far as channel seven, like I always say, like, you know, we all got to be great teammates in this business. When you yeah. work with people, my colleagues at WGR, your colleagues at WKBW, like having great teammates is what it's all about, right? Not in it for yourself, helping each other out. And when it comes to personal or professional, always doing that. I just think I, I, I value that more than almost anything in my workplace that, you know, being flexible and helping people. And we're all in this together trying to succeed, but also just the human element comes into play. I also want to say, that story you just said about your dad looking at you when you came into the hospital, like, what are you doing here? <laughs> that is, first of all, a typical dad to say, like, don't worry about me. But it's also yeah. a typical Italian dad, right? Like, yeah, I, I got I got this son. Why are you here? Like, what what are you? You don't need to be here. I got this covered. Yeah, well, I mean, in it, it, so I was in Los Angeles and my sister goes to school and she was out of town as well. And, you know. I mean, full disclosure, I'm all about transparency. Essentially, the doctor told my mom that if it were him in that situation with his kids, he would let him them know the severity of it. And that's kind of the point that it was at. So we were both like, oh, my God, we need to get in action. And the flight on Wednesday night was the lo- it was a flight from yeah. L.A. to Detroit. Imagine. The, the longest four hours oh, ever. Like, like obviously you're not sleeping at all and you have the Wi-Fi on the plane and you're basically just refreshing your messages. And, you know, my poor mother is sitting there in the waiting room and she's like, every time I'm messaging her, if she waited more than a couple minutes, I immediately panic just because that's sure. the kind of person that I am. So it was awful. But then I got a small, like kind of bit of good news when I landed in Detroit, she messaged me and she was like, Hey, I had a chance to see him for five minutes. He seems so so much better than he was last night. Just take your time getting back. Don't do anything stupid. We'll be here. Just, you know, get here in one piece, right. basically like your typical Italian mother. But in like, and I know that it is just a football game, but I'm not kidding when I say it was the best distraction possible because when I got to the hospital on Thursday, I mean, he's from Buffalo. He grew up in the South towns. He, you know, raised his family here. He's never left here. He loves the Buffalo bills. So Once we kind of realized like that he was getting better, then the conversation shifted to how are they going to do today? What matchups are we going to watch? So did you watch the game with him? I couldn't watch the game with him because of the, he was in the, I mean, he was in the ICU. He was, he was in the ICU up until Sunday. So like, obviously very, very serious, but the rules on the ICU visiting hours were 12 to six, but 
they were able to get him for the game on Thursday from his hospital bed to a chair that was looking at the TV so he could watch the game. And he watched it straight through. Like I called him at halftime just to kind of check in and see how he was doing. And then the next day I went in and like, when we do this job, we take ourselves out of it. Like we root for stories. We root for, you know, cool things to happen. We do not root for teams, but I was relieved the bills won because that poor guy had to sit in the hospital all day Friday and watch TV. And I'm like, at least you can kind of soak it all in listening to people talk about how good the bills are and not about a loss. So, and that was the thing. Like I walked into the hospital on Friday and he was talking about the corners and the pass rush and AJ Epinesa and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, like, I think you're going to be okay because you noticed AJ Epinesa and Christian Benford. So I think uh, (laughs) your attention to detail is not gone. Well, I'm glad that uh, everything sounds okay. And the prognosis seems to be good. Uh, That's great. And I'm sure that all the listeners listening right now um, feel the same way when I say that, you know, all the best to your dad and your family. And, um, you know, I'm glad that it sounds like everything is on the right track and and, and working out. Missed you in LA, uh, obviously for, the reasons that you said, we know that, but I did miss you, did miss seeing you in LA. Um, I will tell you, you said we're, we're a little bit later than we normally will be. No, we're not. We're actually recording on Sunday. We're going to normally record on Sunday. Oh, that's a good point. No, yeah. It's totally point. cool. Right. So yeah, that's we're, a good point. we're right on schedule um, here tonight. Do you remember the very first podcast we did? We did a segment on the best cities to visit for the bills road trips. Oh and, yeah. I did. We talked, that. we talked about LA and I had really never been there. You had been to LA. I had not been to LA. Um, I'd only flown through LA, but I'd not spent time. I spent time there this week with my family. I can get into that in a little while, but you asked me about the stadium. That was part of the allure. I wanted my family to go to see the stadium because they wanted to see the stadium. When the schedule came out, we debated it and said, okay, let's do it. Took Max out of school for a few days. So glad we did it um, for all the reasons of being there. But the stadium itself, Matt, absolutely stunning, amazing, beautiful. Also too big. It's just too big. I'm sorry. It's too big of a stadium. It's cavernous underneath. Like, yes, there's, I'll give you an example. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable, fact based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation, find your next credit card, or loan for a big purchase, and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. The Bills locker room, you walk out the locker room. Now, at all these stadiums we go to, you walk out of the locker room, where's the post-game press conference? Within 20 feet, maybe? Yeah. 20 yards? Mm-hmm. We had to walk, I think, over 100 yards to get to the post-game press conference because they have like 10 locker rooms for two different football teams, two different visiting teams, a soccer team, a whatever team. They have locker rooms everywhere. They have all these doors everywhere. I, I I got lost not knowing which door to go into because there's so many doors and it's so big. And then my wife, Yana and Max, they're sitting up on the second level. They're in the two hundreds. And she said, even though they were in the two hundreds, it was like level six. And they got lost a couple of times going back to their seats because they didn't know where to go because they went around the stadium to go shopping or whatever. And it was just 
it was not very user friendly. Here's my question. And I know that you're probably a little biased here. You're a Yankees fan. That's kind of how I feel about Yankee stadium as a ballpark. Is that like a decently fair comparison? Like, I feel like Yankee stadium is too big for a ballpark. Might be sure. It might be. I think the difference is, um, I, I don't know. I mean, for, okay. I would say it this way. I've never experienced Yankee stadium as a media member necessarily to go underneath and all that. But I would say I could see how, as a fan, you say it's too big. I think it's a little easier to navigate though. You know, I mean, this was the ups and downs and the elevator where you're going. And even us, you know, like we have to go always from the field to the press box. I have to do the radio booth and that's always something different. Like where's the press box versus the radio booth. Are they on the same level that happens at stadiums, all that kind of stuff. Now, the actual like aesthetics of the stadium as a football stadium, just yeah, gorgeous, yeah, absolutely gorgeous. incredible, and it's it's what they call a translucent canopy. It's not a dome; <laughs> it's a canopy that sits. It's like a dome, but you can see through it. And on each end, it's open, so the breeze comes through. The difference was there really was no breeze on Thursday night, so it got super hot and muggy mostly during the game. Yeah. And I'll say from the outside, cause I had been outside several times in the days leading up to the game before I had to fly home back to Buffalo. It's gorgeous. Like the waterfall in front and that little man-made ponds that's there and the big SoFi letter sign that's right out front. Like it is, it is aesthetically beautiful, but I will say like the thing about LA and this isn't just even about the stadium, the traffic in that city is so, so bad that going anywhere is a hassle. Like on Tuesday, on Tuesday night, we went to the Dodgers game and we were all kind of staying by the airport and we were at the same hotel actually. And it took us an hour and 25 minutes to get 13 miles from the airport to Dodgers stadium. And like, that's bonkers to me. We were supposed to on Friday, go play golf at Torrey pines and our tea time was at like 1130 or 12 or something. And the person working at the desk told me that we needed to give ourselves four hours to get there. And it's like an hour and a half drive without traffic. So, you know, the stadium aside, like LA traffic is an absolute bear and you know, who knows, maybe I'll be there in eight years when the bills go back. Traffic was a nightmare. Uh, We experienced that as well. So just to wrap up this segment, and then, of course, we will talk about the game. Yeah. Um, We flew out on Tuesday. We went to the Angels game on Wednesday. It was fantastic. We were able to actually to, um, through some people we knew and guest services, we were able to secure a chance to get a little tour of the stadium and go on the field, actually, a little bit, which was really cool. We go on the field. We, We couldn't stay long in the field, but we were out there. One of the Tigers players turns around and sees Max and throws him a baseball. So he got to keep oh, that's cool. from the Tigers player. And um, it was super hot, though. Max bought a Mike Trout jersey. And then literally the next batter was Mike Trout next half inning. And he hit a home run. Wouldn't that, was, a, that was awesome. awesome. And um, yeah, while we were there, uh, after the game, we went down to Hollywood Boulevard, Sunset Strip, went to Beverly Hills, did one of those double-decker buses you get off and on and did all that stuff. We saw the um, Walk of Fame. And um, had a really good time, but the traffic was a nightmare. Yeah, not a nice city for all the um, kind of the touristy stuff, but I, I, I'd have a tough time living there after. And I love New York City. I love New York City, and I love Boston, and I love a lot of the big East Coast cities. Maybe that's it. There's no subway system there. You know, it's all cars and traffic. It's kind of weird. So maybe that's why. I'm not really sure. Maybe I'd have to see a little bit more of it to feel differently. 
LA would eat me alive. New York city would yeah. eat me alive too. I could probably never do New York city. But the thing that I like about cities like that, like New York, Boston, San Francisco, Chicago, at least like when you're in the city, you can kind of get around self-sufficient yeah. without like having to worry because of public transit. And because there's like kind of downtown areas, LA is such a massive sprawling city that like to get from one part of LA to another part of LA is a big hassle. So like, listen, I know people are probably listening to this to hear about football, but yeah. that was just kind of my, impressions of los angeles as the city even though i had been there once uh, um, whatever it's really really nice place not necessarily my favorite all right let's talk about football we uh we're glad you stayed with us for this first segment but obviously a few other things that we need to get to and talk about and we're done with that now we'll talk about the buffalo bills beating the la rams yeah so sal i mean it was a schlacking is that the right word to say the bills dominated whatever adjective you want, partner, uh, destruction, throttling, shellacking. I don't care. Just use it because it fits. I feel like week one, and we're going to talk about some of the other games that happened on Sunday as well. Week one is like your ultimate overreaction and people are super high on teams that they shouldn't be super high on. And they immediately get super low on teams that probably don't deserve to be super low on. I think Monday, like we knew the bills were going to be a contender. I think Monday almost gave me the reassurance that I needed. Like, yeah, they're that good. Like, I think this is more about the bills than it's about the Rams. I think the Rams might be overrated. Like, I think they're probably still a playoff team. I don't think they're going to be a contender this year, but the bills are really good. Like the things that they struggled with last year, it felt like they addressed in the off season. And that was on full display. Like we talked about their lack of consistency with the pass rush and Oh my goodness, was the pass rush unbelievable. And I know the Rams lost Whitworth and they don't have an unbelievable line and everything like that, but that pass rush, I mean, they had seven sacks. What are they going to have against most teams? Four or five? Like that's still really good. We had questions about the secondary. They held their own. They weren't great, but they held their own. And the offense is just like they were going up against a team. They have their holes on the ramps, but Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald and Bobby Wagner, and they put up 31 points while turning the ball over four times. Like it was just an incredibly efficient and dominant day for the bills. No doubt about it. Every single facet of what they did was good to great really right i mean from josh allen's passing running the ball certainly did well i mean you, you maybe they didn't have the greatest day running they ran the ball very efficiently very well but more than anything matt i think what we saw on thursday night is maybe and this is crazy to say because they have josh allen right i'm not trying to say it's more important than josh but i think if the bills do reach their super bowl aspirations this year they get to the super bowl win the super bowl whatever it might be because of the defense it might be because of the defensive line and yes, of course it's because of Josh Allen. I'm not dismissing that folks. Of course, I think, you know, the guy could win the MVP, but maybe the difference of getting over the hump over the last few years to this year is how good this defense can be. And I will tell you, you know, I've said this to you at camp. I would say this is the best I've seen this defense look since I've been covering them. Mm-hmm. I said that at camp and that was without Tredavious white, but there's a difference at camp when you're going against your offense every day, you're not tackling people to the ground. You know, you're not playing your starters in preseason. It's okay. Let's see it in the regular season. They were so dominant. I think to me, the story of this season might be about the defense and how great they can be. 
they're so deep too. Like Shaq Lawson didn't play in this game. And huh. I think when you look at the depth, like there will be injuries. So as we continue to kind of get farther down the season, these are the little added layers that they have that they haven't had in years past. Like, okay, you have an injury to an edge rusher. Not like you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. You've got all of these other guys who you can call upon. Something happens with the linebackers. You love Terrell Bernard. You really like Tyrell Dodson. You have these guys like Saran Neal and eventually Christian Benford and probably Kyrie Elam who won't be on the field a ton whenever Tredavious White comes back. But it's nice to have that insurance policy because for so many years they haven't. And then, of course, the biggest thing is just the dynamic ability that Von Miller brings. And we're not even just talking about the sacks that Von Miller gets. It's how much attention he requires and what that opens up for the other guys around him. Like I know Ed Oliver left the game. We haven't had an injury update on him yet. Other than the fact that he's, you know, day to day, he's sore. He was seen leaving the stadium with a boot, all of that stuff. But like, even if he is sidelined for a couple of weeks, I believe in the depth that they have on the defensive line, really anchored by Von Miller that they'll be fine. Like they'll be able to tread water, not even just tread water. They'll be able to win a lot of football games. Even if they do have to rest guys mm-hmm. like at Oliver, who gets dinged up or like Tredavious white, who's waiting to make his season debut. Even if Josh Allen doesn't have his a game, they can win with defense. They can win a number mm-hmm. of ways. I think they could even win running the ball a little bit. Again, they weren't great at it, but they were good enough. They were efficient. I thought, you know, Devin Singletary averaged what six yards a carry. I think when it was all said and done, they didn't get the ball a ton, but that's what they did. Um, let's talk about Vaughn for a second. Yep. I mean, could you have scripted a better debut against your former team uh, for your new team, the Buffalo bills, uh, this guy, not only the stats, the two sacks, but the way he did it, the bull rush on one, the up and under duck on the other, that was just talked about the next day, even like Chris long talking about, Oh my God, Chris long said, if I did something like this, I'd be injured. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, this guy, the things he can do to see that up close and personal when you're kind of focusing on it because it's the team you cover pretty special, Matt. Well, there were times when we saw him in one-on-one dil- drills during the summer, during training camp, where he just made his, you know, teammate look silly. And we're like, well, how much does this translate to a game? And as it turns out, it does translate. I, I remember one of the conversations we had on the podcast was like, do you think that Von Miller can get double digit sacks this year? And we were both like, yeah, he can. I don't know how much, how many he'll get, but like, we think he could get 10, 11, 12. That would be a really, really strong year considering the kind of veteran leadership he brings to this team. I think he's going to be one of the best edge rushers in the league this year. Like I know historically he is already one of the best edge rushers in NFL history. I think that like, after what I saw on Thursday night, like he still got it. Like he might not be a hundred percent Von Miller that he was when he was 26, 27 years old, but he might be 90% Von Miller. And that's still better than anything the bills have had in a long, long time. And it's different than like, uh, so for me, I think back to the, because Bruce Smith is before me. So I think back to like the premier pass rushers that I've watched the bills have, I would say like Mario Williams was great. Those couple of years, Jerry Hughes was really, really good. Aaron Schobel was really, really good. Von Miller is just built different. Like the way he does it is just like something that I've never seen before, at least with the bills. Pretty unbelievable. He had some help too on the defensive line, meaning as far as getting to the quarterback, the bills had seven sacks. Mm -hmm. Every one of them came from a defensive lineman, Matt. They did had, they had zero blitzes in the game, zero blitzes, which is extremely rare, but yet seems to be something Sean McDermott does 
and no one else does. It's actually yeah. have a game with no blitzes. There's some stats out there about that, but how about seven sacks, all defensive linemen, no linebackers or defensive backs. We're talking about Jordan Phillips getting in the act and Greg Russo, AJ Epinesa, mm-hmm. right? These guys, everybody getting in on the act uh, on the defensive line. And I just think that this group, I imagine, I think they're going to go into every single game basically with the edge um, that they can beat the group in front of them. If they can control the line of scrimmage like that, that'll help so much with those linebackers being able to flow. And how about the the young corners? It would help them so much because you can drop more guys into coverage. They don't have to have all that pressure on them. They don't have to be on an island. And Kyrie Elam and Christian Benford specifically can basically have you know a little bit less stress and pressure on them to have to make plays and to get up to speed as quick. I think about it this way, and this might be an oversimplification of this, but if I asked you what was the weakest part of the Bills roster last year, what would you have said? Probably defensive line. Okay, I agree. And now we just said that they might have an edge with their defensive line in every game that they play with all of those other strong positions returning with basically the same units. So we just took the number one defense from last year and took their weakest part of it and made it a strength. Now, when you think of the potential of that team, even without Tredavious White, like we were just talking about them not blitzing, like imagine getting that kind of pressure without blitzing and having Tredavious White back in coverage. Like if you're an opposing offense, how do you beat? I mean, like there are ways to beat it, but it takes a really special player and a really special game plan to do that. And when they get to the playoffs, when they get to where they're trying to go, they will face the players who can try and solve that, but it's a lot tougher when you've only got two or three seconds max to get the ball out of your hand because you've got Von Miller, Jordan Phillips, AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham, Tim Settle, Ed Oliver, like <laughs> chasing, like we're just banging, like rattling through names here of guys who can get home to the quarterback. It's amazing. Let's get on to the uh, offensive side because, of course, Josh Allen still had a fantastic game. The guy started off 10 of 10. He would have been 11 for 11 if Isaiah McKenzie had actually hung on to that 11th pass, and that became an interception that wasn't on Josh. He did throw one pick that he probably threw a little bit late over the middle, but uh, overall, I mean, this is what you love about Josh. He's super aggressive. He was making throw after throw. They they had a great game plan, Matt. They got the ball out of his hands quickly to neutralize Aaron Donald so that he didn't wreck a game plan. I love that. They, they ran toss sweep a lot more than yeah. I've ever seen. I think that was to get away from Aaron Donald. What a great game plan um, by the offensive coaching staff. But Josh Allen specifically, I mean, here we are on Sunday night. There's been players that had maybe better stats over the weekend, but Josh making an early stake to a candidate for MVP like he's been touted. He was, in, he was sensational. We don't often get to sit and watch like NFL red zone. Like a lot of people do just because the bills are playing. And when you're covering a bills game, you're watching the game that's happening in front of you. And then you're doing all of your other responsibilities. So you kind of piece together what's happening around the league from different highlights, from the coaches film, from all the different things that we watch. And today was a good example of me being like, wow, like, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, like they're, they're, those guys are in like a class that really is. There's a big, I mean, Justin Herbert's awesome. I think Joe Burrow is really, really good, but like I'm watching other quarterbacks today and then I'm seeing some of the mistakes that they make, or I'm seeing some of the plays that they don't even try to make. And it makes you realize just how good the bills have it with the guy. That's, you know, the face of their franchise, not just now, but for years and years to come. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, um, any, anything else? We, we, we'll get to a couple of negatives here positively. I mean, Stefan Diggs, we could talk about Gabe mm-hmm. Davis. Um, the wide receivers looked great. They were catching the ball. They were making plays. I think there's been a, 
there's been a bit of a, a maybe a narrative, I guess you'd say, or a wonder about how they're going to get downfield. They don't have a ton of speed. They got downfield. Gabe Davis got downfield. Stephon Diggs got downfield. I think they can get downfield a little bit better than people realize they can get downfield because they're such great route runners and because Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen together, the concepts they can come up with and having Josh's ability to keep his eyes downfield and throw. And I would say shout out to Devin Singletary because I feel like every year it's like the Levi Wallace thing. Every year the Bills tried to upgrade the position and yep. Levi Wallace just kind of won out the job and proved that he was going to be the guy. And this summer they draft James Cook, who I still think is going to have a role. I know what happened on his first career carry, but Devin Singletary looked effective as a running back. He looked effective in the passing game, which is really valuable to them. I think of that one play where it was like second and three, they dump it off to him. He gets contact right basically at the line of scrimmage and he turns it still into like a six or seven yard gain that leads to a first and goal for the bills. That was right before the McKenzie touchdown. And he also held his own in pass pro. So I think Devin Singletary, like when the games matter the most is going to be once again, the running back who gets the meaningful carries, who gets the reps. Everybody on the team always talks about what he does when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and how valuable he is. And also, and I know he got a little banged up in the game. Reggie Gilliam is awesome. And he does so many things that people don't (laughs) talk about, but my goodness, there's a reason they gave that guy a new contract because he is just like, the perfect little chess piece that teams would love to have. That's right. Um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like when they announced the contract extension, there was a bit of some head scratching from maybe some bills fans, mm-hmm. but you saw why, right? I mean, he was on the field. We, we saw it and how good he is in every facet of the game. They can use him in so many different ways. He is the ultimate Swiss army knife. You know, as we say about a lot of those types of players, all right, listen, they played great, but there were some things to clean up. I, I like to say, This is a coach's dream. You win a game comfortably, and yet there's a whole bunch of stuff you can bring to your team and say, we need to be better at this, and we need to be better at that. Number one, Matt, putting the ball on the ground. I mean, James Cook on his first NFL carry. Zach Moss as they're closing in on trying to score again. And then, of course, Josh even on the interception. That's going to happen sometimes with Isaiah McKenzie. The pass that becomes an interception. The turnovers, specifically the fumbles by your two running backs, just can't happen. Mm -hmm. I know. And I mean, you think of like the situation you, it can never happen, but they get away with it because they played such a dominant game and because they were up by so much. But if you're playing a close game and like, we've talked about this team, not being able to close out close games in the past, that stuff can't happen. So I guess in a positive way, you try and nip it in the bud now and you realize like, okay, it didn't hurt us. We can learn from it and we can move on. But those are the kinds of things that can hold back a team. And if they happen at the wrong time, can completely derail a season or a game. And that's what they got to steer clear of. And the other thing I'll ask you that I think was a negative from the game perceptually Josh Allen's running a little bit too much. I think I I didn't, I didn't like it late in the fourth Mm -hmm. quarter. I didn't like Josh running up three scores and taking shots. And even Sean McDermott kind of alluded to the fact when we heard from him on uh, the next day, he basically said, yeah, that is something that we're going to have to talk about. He talked about, there was a waggle pass, which is basically getting out. You pull the guards. So they're out in front of him, but he's got his option to run or throw and nothing was there. And he ran instead of maybe getting out of bounds or just throwing it away. Those are things I think that really made Bill's mafia a little frustrated that why are you running Josh Allen in these situations? The game is in hand, especially they don't want to see him run. Maybe even sometimes when the game is tight, especially though, when it's in that situation. 
I think it's more insulting to bring Case Keenum into the game for your opponent than <laughs> it is to still have Josh Allen there running. And I have a theory about, I agree with you, Sal, but I have a theory, you know, the stiff arm play that everybody yes. has seen a million yes. times. I think Josh Allen slowed down on that play to initiate the contact contact and stiff arm that dude. Like I, I really, I genuinely think he did that to try and fire up his team and also to try and fire up himself because he knows that like I can physically dominate you and throw you into the earth. I, I really do think that he slowed down because he could have got that corner. I, I truly believe that Devin Singletary said he was laughing when he got up. And if you watch the replay and you pay attention to that, he truly was our buddy. Bill Whippert had a great shot of Josh's <laughs> face that I tweeted out. And he's like, and as he's going on the stiff arm, it was great. But, but just the, um the running of Josh overall, the volume of it, especially late in the game when they were up, were you comfortable with that? I was not. No. And I think that that's one of those things we saw it last year. The turning point was in Tampa in the second half of that game. That's kind of when they unleashed Josh and they were like, go do whatever you need to do to win games. I think at this point in the year, like there's a time and a place for it, but I am much more an advocate for the timely scrambles than the designed quarterback runs that could potentially lead to like, he is a freak. I, I saw that like, I think coward called him like Giannis. He's one of one. I've heard other people say he's like LeBron. There's nothing you can compare him to physically. He's just that dominant. Like I I think most times he's going to bounce back up, but it's just trying to avoid the times that maybe he doesn't. And that's where I lie. So like, I'm not overly concerned with it, but it is something that I think they do need to be cognizant of that's him specifically. And I have one other very small gripe sale with the game. And mine is, I don't like when teams run on first down and I just talked about how effective Singletary was and it, it could very well be game plan specific. It could very well be like a, we're trying to avoid Aaron Donald. We're going to run away from him and we're going to give ourselves second and four, second and five, second and six situations, which is probably what it was. But I always feel like you're kind of playing catch up when you run on first down. If I was an offensive coordinator, I think I would pass every single time on first down. And if you didn't have a game, then I would just do it again on second down. And I would do it again on third down. That's just kind of my mindset. And I'm always like the guy too, who's like Josh Allen's the best player on your team, put the ball in his hands as much as humanly possible. It worked out for the bills, but I'm curious to see if that's something that continues because with Brian Dable at the helm, they very rarely ran on first down. Do you follow uh, Warren Sharp on Twitter? Oh, oh yeah, he's he's, he's big into this. He's big yeah. into this. He has these he has charts and graphs for everything, and I think he's basically given a direct correlation between the more often you run on first down, the less often you win. <laughs> the teams that yeah. do it more often don't mm-hmm. win as much. Like you can't do that. And then there's even more about how like running on second down after a first down incompletion. Like what are you doing at second and ten? So I, I agree with a lot of, of what you said right there. All right, let's um. Let's turn the page and look towards next week and talk about what happened over the weekend and how that impacts the bills. And let's answer some questions. All right, Sal Capaccio, Matt Bovey. It's always game day in Buffalo here on the Odyssey app, Apple iTunes, Spotify, wherever you pod your, um, your smart speaker, your smart device, however it is, we appreciate you listening. Please subscribe. Be great. If you subscribe to us, throw us a nice rating or review. Uh, we appreciate all of that. So over the weekend, um, the bills obviously were the first game and then Sunday we were able to watch football and Matt, I mean, what, what a great day of football it was unbelievable. The Bengals 
Steelers game, the tie in the Colts Texans game was actually pretty good. Incredible endings in the, the Washington commanders game, the Eagles and lions. I mean, you name it. It was just sensational football around giants and, and Titans. Obviously Brian Dable getting his first win as a head coach, anything that you saw that stuck out to you, anything you want to start with? Uh, I think that we could win the AFC South. So congratulations to you and I Sal, because uh, somebody's going to have to, somebody's going to have to win that division. So I, I saw an amazing tweet and I forgot who did it, but there are zero wins currently in the AFC South right now. And two of the teams played each other, two teams lost. Oh and then the other That's two teams, amazing. Died. like, think about that. After this first week, every single team in that division has a zero in the win column, but two of them played each other, which is exceptional. Um, the Bengals game was outstanding. Um, it was, it was such a crazy game. Like when the Bengals got the ball back, I was like, okay, I, I was having this conversation. Cause I was watching with my friends. They got the ball back with like a minute 30 left and a couple timeouts. And they were down 20 to 14. And I said, I think I would rather be in the Bengals position than the Steelers position, because if they scored, then they would go up and then they would win the game. And then you know, Minka Fitzpatrick blocks the extra point and it's this crazy game. So that game was nuts and hell yeah. Brian Dable for going for the win. I give that guy so much props. I'm always going to be an advocate for the aggressive play. Even if it doesn't work, it was like the Titans game last year with the bills. I loved the fact that they went for it and Josh Allen slipped and they lost whatever. Sometimes that happens. Go for the win. And I like that he did that. And I think he immediately has gained credibility with his new team and with his players, like the video after of Saquon, like running off the field and like losing his mind. Like you want to play for that dude. I I don't know anything about Joe judge as a coach, but I have never seen videos about Saquon running up to him and jumping into his arms (laughs) after a week one game. So right on Brian Dable, right on. So we had a discussion a few weeks ago. I told you this was a really tough survivor week, like week one, like who are you going to take in the survivor pool? Got to take somebody to lose somebody to win. Yeah. I, I was, I was lucky. I got by, I took the Ravens as my survivor pick and I hate taking road teams, especially early in the season, but I did. But what's crazy is this is how crazy the week was in the one survivor pool. I'm in 117 people are in this 64 are already out after week one. And that doesn't include the night game on Sunday, the two games or the night game on Monday, the two night games. So um, yeah, this was a wild week and the game you just referenced the giants, they beat the Titans. Of course, Matt, think about this. The bills have an opportunity next week, Monday night football at home in the home opener to bury the Titans two and a half games behind them after only two weeks. That's this is the number one seed from last year. The team, the bills were chasing for the number one seed all year. If the bills win, they'll be two and oh, the Titans will be owned two. that's two games. And the bills will have head to head. That's two and a half game lead over them. Only after two weeks of play, that would be huge in a, a leg up for them. So to speak, the Bengals already lost a game. That's big. That's a team that's going to be chasing. Yes. The Steelers won. We think JJ Watt is probably going to, could be out for the year with a torn pectoral muscle, mm-hmm. a big blow to them. Um, but this is a big opportunity for the bills next Monday night. I'm looking, have you seen the line yet? I saw what it opened as with the bills and the Titans at the beginning of the year. Have you seen an updated line for next week by chance? Um, I will check on that in one second. I will get one for you actually. Okay. Yes. My 
guess is that the Bills will be if you have okay, so I'll be six or seven, right? Well, they opened at the beginning of the year, I believe, as a six and a half or a seven point favorite, the Bills at home against the Titans. And after what we saw in week one, I would bet that that number bumps up a little bit. My guess is that it's going to be like seven and a half. And I think the Titans are still, and I know they just lost to the Giants. I think they're a fine team. I think they're probably going to be a team that contends for a wild card spot, but Derrick Henry did not look the same against the Giants. I know he's coming off of an injury. I know that he's getting a little bit older. Maybe the Giants are better than we think they are. But like Tannehill's Tannehill, the, the, the thing that I always say, though, is don't sleep on the Titans because they always play the Bills tough. Always, always, always. I think the Bills are going to win the game, and we'll talk more about that on the next episode later in the week. But they always are a thorn in the side of the Bills. They win a lot. They've won and they've beaten them because they could run the ball against them. And then they mix in Tannehill throwing the ball and running. He's a good athlete, but mm-hmm. you know, they can kind of control it a little bit with the run game. And now with this bills D line, you hope that's not the case. The line, by the way, now is up to nine and a half in most sports books, anywhere between eight to nine and a half, but nine and a half seems to be the consensus. Pretty wild. Nine, nine and a half against the team. That was the number one seed right. in the AFC last year. It's I mean, amazing. that speaks about, that speaks volumes to how good the bills are. And I will say the difference in last year's game, like of course, Josh Allen slipped at the end of the game, AJ Brown took over in the second half mm-hmm. of that game and they no longer have AJ Brown. So it's going to need to be Traylon Burks, Robert Woods, or Hilliard, like one basic. And I think he left the game early too. So I I'm intrigued by this game, but I think the bills are in a really good position. And I had one other thought too, when I was watching these games today, you know how we had been talking about, you know, the first seven weeks is kind of like the gauntlet for the Bills' schedule and how tough it was going to be. I think I'm ready to say that it's only the first six weeks because I don't think the Packers are any good. Well, they got blown out last year, though, week one, too. And then they made it, I know, you know, know. they they, this is it's kind of. But I agree. I don't think that they're as good as people have been touting them. Um, I did pick Minnesota to win this week. And Matt, I'm kicking myself in my yearly NFL predictions, which I posted last week at WGR550.com. I had the Vikings winning that division. And then I changed it and put the Packers uh, before publishing. And I put the Vikings in as the wild card because I do think the Vikings can win the division. We'll see though. Anytime you have Aaron Rodgers, of course, that's going to be tough. Their receivers, they were dropping passes. Yeah. Defense didn't look as good as advertised. People keep saying how great this defense is going to be. Um, so we'll see. One they, last were without, they were without Bakhtiari too. That's, so that's like, right. he's maybe their second best player. So like I, I realized that they'll, be better than that down the road, but they like Aaron Rodgers looked like he wanted to retire after the game today. <laughs> like he, he was throwing to the guys on your flag football team, basically. <laughs> um, what one other question on this? Do you, do you see any game the Bills will be underdogs in all year? I mean, unless maybe at the end of the year at Cincy, depending how their season goes, I guess, on a Monday night on January 2nd, I I could see that. But otherwise, I don't think the Bills are going to be, oh, maybe maybe Kansas City at Kansas City in a few weeks. Chiefs on the road. Chiefs on the road. I I think that's That's the only one. Yeah, probably. I mean, (laughs) the Bills are really good. And that'll take us to the questions that we wanted to answer. Because, you know, somebody basically said, like, are the Bills good enough to go 20 and 0? Like, no, no, they're not like they're, they're not going to go undefeated. You have to have so many breaks go your way on top of being a great team. Let's crawl before we can walk. Yeah. They're really, really good. They're not going undefeated. 
This is not going to be the smoothest ride of all time. And quite frankly, I don't think you want it to be a smooth ride because if it is a smooth ride and then you get to the end of the season, that's when you lay an egg. And that's when people get up. Like, look at the Packers last year. The Packers were unbelievable in the regular season. And then they lose in their first playoff game. Same thing with the Titans. The Titans were really good in the regular season. And then they get upset in the divisional round at home against the Bengals. And nobody saw that coming. So like, no, it's not going to happen. I think that they're going to drop some games that people are going to be surprised about, but they're still super talented and they're absolutely good enough to contend for a Super Bowl. And that's what this is all about. All right. So let's check out some, I had some questions here. Do you have any right now? Because I lost the thread yeah. where some of our questions were. You can go ahead. Yeah, this is a good one. This is from Joe Tua or Mac. Don't count the rest of the roster right now. If you were building a team, who would you pick to start a team around Tua or Mac? I think I'd take Mac Jones. Um, you know, he's bigger and stronger and that matters to me. I think two is tiny and I need to make sure I, I'm not convinced he's going to survive a whole season. And Mac Jones did play well last year. I mean, he was all rookie. He's, he made the playoffs. And, and I, I think that, um, all of those things added up for me. I would take Mac Jones. All right. The next question. I agree with you. I would take Mac Jones. Also. The next question is future of Khalil Shakir and Shaq Lawson. And I think this is a good question. So I'm glad that somebody asked this. Okay. So I think this goes to the larger question really of the inactive list and what we thought about it. Right. Because mm-hmm. I was surprised Khalil Shakir was inactive. Yeah. I was, I wasn't super surprised. Shaq Lawson was, we talked about that. We said that could happen. I mean, mm-hmm. if they want to go eight TB, I mean, eight linemen or nine linemen, you could see that happening. I think Zach Moss was a guy we debated by the way, how smart does the coaching staff look? I understand Zach Moss fumbled. I get that point of it, but maybe not trusting James cook yet and having say, let, let's make sure we have a guy, right? If something happens and they mm-hmm. did, and I know Zach Moss fumbled Zach Moss led this team and touch led the um, running backs and touches, which is incredible. Um, so yeah, I, I think that was interesting. Khalil Shakir is going to be fine. Yeah. I think the I biggest agree. surprise with me on Thursday night might've been the fact that the bills rolled Jamison Crowder out there as the starting punt returner. And by the way, he played well. He played solid. He made good decisions as a punt returner. He caught the ball. He's probably earned himself at least another week doing that. Even if they thought about putting Khalil Shakir out there. Yeah. I was going to say that. I think it's more likely we see Shakir on an active game day roster before we see Shaq Lawson. Cause mm-hmm. I don't think anybody on the defense has earned basically a week off. I think maybe if you're dealing with an injury, then Shaq Lawson becomes part of the active game day roster or something like that. But I, I would say it's just a matter of time. It's not a punishment to those guys. Really. It's just how deep the team is that I think that it's kind of a luxury because there will be injuries at some point. And then those guys are going to be on the active roster. And then we're going to get to see Shakir's debut and we'll get to see Shaq Lawson and he'll probably pick up where he left off. If uh, Jordan Phillips is any indication of kind of what's ahead, then let's see, let's go through some of the other questions that we have here. Oh, Sal, what was it like to catch the kickoff? That was a question. All right. So, you know, the story, right? Have you heard the story? You've seen it. Yeah, I did. I did. Okay, in case people don't know the story, so the Bills go up 10 nothing. It's the kick it's the kickoff after the field goal to go up 10 nothing. And I'm standing down by where the Rams would field it and where I kind of usually stand on the kickoff so I'm there when the the drive starts. I'm watching the field, but I'm not watching Tyler Bass. I'm just kind of looking out at the Rams and whatever. And I hear the crowd Matt go, "Oh, yeah. like like they so you knew something happened." Mm-hmm. And there was, and it was mostly bills fans behind me. I knew something bad happened on the kick. So I look for the kick. I looked up and I see the kick sailing 
short and out of bounds. Then I realized it's headed directly towards me and it's headed directly towards about four or five people in my general area. You've been on the field. You know what I'm talking about? That ball's coming down. There's a lot of people there. And by the way, even though it's this really big stadium and brand new and all that, and so nice, there's about as much room on that sideline as there is at Highmark, And that's not a lot of room, mm-hmm. right? So we're all standing there. So the bills don't have the cheerleaders anymore. The Jills. Well, guess what? The Rams do. They have cheerleaders. Yeah. And there's two or three cheerleaders standing there and I yell heads up, heads up. And a couple of them kind of ducked a little bit. And I, the one cheerleader kind of stepped over to her right a bit, a little bit. And I reached over maybe that didn't like moss or like over her head, but kind of near. And I caught it. I caught it cleanly. That's now, big. I, I will tell you, I was a kickoff and punt returner in high school. When I played, I, Played high school football. I was actually like an all ECIC um, kickoff returner, punt returner, wide receiver. So I've done it before, but I have never caught an actual kickoff, obviously, from an NFL kicker in a situation like this. So as it's coming, I'm debating do I try? I'm literally thinking if I try and miss, like that's embarrassing here on national TV. Yeah, but at the same time, I got to have confidence, right? So I reached out, caught it cleanly, no bobble. The cheerleader, you could see it on video. She steps and she looks over at me and I just kind of looked at her and gave her a, there you go. And I kind of like showed her the ball, like I gotcha. So that was cool because people saw that and said, Oh, look at that guy casually just um, showing off for the cheerleader and showing her the ball. <laughs> like <laughs> and it was I, was you. Basically, I was like, well, I mean, even me, like look at Sal, Sal caught it and Sal's like, Oh, showing off. I wasn't showing off, but what I was doing was basically like, oh, I got you. See, I caught it. Yeah, I guess maybe I was showing off. Well, I saw the, I saw the clip and it was impressive. So well done. Let's, <laughs> let's you. close out with two more here. What was your biggest NFL overreaction after week one, non bills related? That is from Sean. Got to have an overreaction to week one, non bills related. Let me go back and see. I've got one. If you want me to start, on. you go first, go ahead. I, I think the Patriots might stink. I don't like think it's an overreaction. Is it? I don't know. It's like, I mean, they were, they were a playoff team. Like, I, like I'm saying, like they might like stink yeah, really bad, right? Yeah, I mean, like, and it's like Miami. I think is going to be good. Like, I think Miami might be a wild card team. The Patriots were blown out by a team that's fine. Like, they're good. But like, what are the Patriots going to do against quarterbacks that are really good, or against defenses that are really good? I don't know. I just think that they might really stink. I could be wrong. They have Belichick. They've got the greatest coach of all time, but I think they're like a five or six win team this year. Okay. I I mean, I know this guy is a great player. There's no doubt about it. Right. But a wide receiver has never won MVP. Never. A wide receiver has never won the most valuable player award in the NFL. Justin Jefferson and overreaction could be like, he's going to win the MVP. He is great, but come on now. He had nine catches for 184 yards and two touchdowns. Like that can't happen every week, right? He's not going to do that to me. Maybe a bit of an overreaction about like the kind of season he's going to have because he's going to have a fantastic season, but I think it's an overreaction maybe to say that he's going to have an, he's going to be the MVP. That's never happened at his position. Yeah. I mean, look at Cooper cup last year. Cooper right. cup had a historically unbelievable season. He got one MVP vote one. So even if Justin Jefferson has a better season than Cooper cup had last year, right. And maybe he'll get two MVP votes. MVP votes, MVP votes, excuse me, is opposed to one. And well, then this speaking, is speaking of MVP votes real quick. My co-host Joe DiBiase has an MVP vote on, has an MVP bet, excuse me, on Trey Lance. 
He did not look like an MVP. Ew. The rain was the MVP in that game, but him and Justin Fields, both, it was, it was a quagmire and it was tough to watch that, that game. And then our last one is from Steve. Are the chiefs that good or are the Cardinals that bad? And I think it's the chiefs are that good. Like, I don't know why people were writing off the chiefs. Yeah. I've never understood it. I know they lost Tyreek Hill. I understand that he's a game maker game changer, but my goodness, like I'm always going to trust Patrick Mahomes. I'm always going to think that they're a threat. As long as that guy's there, come on. I think it would be silly to not think that they're a threat. So to me, it's probably a little bit of both, but I think the chiefs are the still a very real threat and the biggest threat in the AFC to the bills. Besides basically the bills and the chiefs, I think are the two best teams in the AFC. I like it. I agree with you. I think it's the chiefs. The chiefs are very, very good. I think the Cardinals were getting a little too much love though, this um, off season and preseason, but I don't think they're a horrible team. I think the chiefs are just that good that they can, they can put it on you. And they did. And now without Tyreek, they're spreading the ball around a little bit. All right. So Matt and I are going to have another podcast for you before the bills take on the Tennessee Titans on Monday night. Um, The bills will have their normal week of preparation. Matt will be out there covering it for channel seven WKBW. I will be covering it for WGR. Of course, Matt, have you just taken a second to think about what Monday night's going to be like in that stadium? It's going to be unbelievable. Unbelievable. I am very, uh, here's a little fun fact for you too. I got another fun fact for you. Did you know, I think I might've told you this off of the podcast, but maybe there's people out there who are listening now. Did you know that orchard park schools do not have a full day of school? for the day of the home opener. And there's a very legitimate reason for it. So I've got a couple of people who I know who have worked for Orchard Park and they are having a half day for Monday of the home opener because the traffic is going to be so bad that they can't get the buses out with that much traffic. So there's a half day for Orchard Park schools, it. which Makes so sense. like, so like I was talking to a couple of people at Orchard Park. They're going to be like, yeah, we're going to be in the grass lot by 1230. Let's go. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. Like a lot of people are going to be, I think the atmosphere is going to be unbelievable. I think having it at seven o'clock is yeah. actually super clutch compared to the normal 820 start. I think that for some people, it's going to be a little bit tighter of a turn, whether they're getting out of work or they're trying to get back home from work or whatever it might be. But I think all things considered, the game should be done by 1015, even if you're stuck in traffic. You can get home, get a real night's sleep, go on with your week. And I think that the atmosphere is going to be, it would have been unbelievable regardless of what happened on Thursday night, but coming off of a win against the defending champs in a game where you're now nine and a half point favorites against the team that a lot of people in this area hate, like a lot of people hate the Titans really, really bad. Yes. I think that this is going to be just a, a gong show is the word that I would use. Just need the weather to, co- to cooperate on Monday night. We hope that's the case. By the way, because it is a 7:15 start, that's why I'm letting my eight-year-old go to the game. His first night game. He's going next oh. Monday night, so it'll be a, it'll be a cool experience. Uh, and I bet you there'll be more kids there. Like it's not super late, right? You can go there. You can get in, uh, maybe go to late to school tomorrow or the next day. I didn't say that. I didn't promote that, but maybe <laughs> that happens. All right, Matt. Um, Continued best to your dad. Um, Thank you. I appreciate I'm glad he's it. feeling better. And um, obviously we all hope that he feels even much, much better uh, as it goes on. And obviously we're going to hear from you again when we come back on the podcast, because you and I are going to talk, talk about what's going to happen against the Tennessee Titans. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back on the next always game day in Buffalo podcast with Matt Bove. I'm Sal Capaccio.